Fishing is often a game of details, and how those details are put together over the course of a day will determine your success. And here at Fishful Thinker, we've determined some best practices to make every day on the water fun, and we're going to talk about that right now on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. All right, guys, Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning in to uh, another episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm going to call this one Best Practices because I've been guiding a bunch recently and I notice a lot of the same things with people that I guide in terms of, uh, I don't want to call them mistakes because that sounds like I'm, I'm harshing on my, my clients and I'm certainly not, but things that I try to get them to do better over the course of the day or some things that I've learned over, the, over my lifetime of fishing that make each day a little bit more successful uh, with a little, little fewer or less problems. So we're going to go through a, a, just a whole list of things that I feel like if you pay attention to every day on, on the water, you'll just end up having a better day. And so might as well jump right in because there's lots of stuff to talk about. I'm um, going to start off with line management. I've said forever and ever and ever that casting accuracy and line control catches you the most fish. I don't care if you're a fly fisherman or a bass fisherman or a bluegill, whatever. Casting accuracy and line control catches you the most fish. Well, we'll take casting accuracy out of it because that's a whole topic in and of itself. And let's look at line control or line management. Everyone wants to know about how to not tangle your fishing tackle. I get that question a bajillion times a day. It comes down to line management. It's, it's all there is to it. You have to manage control of slack line all the time. And you have to manage your bail or your free spool on your casting reel all the time. And you have to be aware of the tension on your line all of the time. So when I'm talking about line management specifically, I have one key thing that I think will help a lot of you. Over the last week, I've had a bunch of clients throw some really expensive lures in trees. And what's happening with more of them than not just an accuracy issue, the lure was on the right path to land where it needed to go. It's that they didn't have control of the line as it's paying off the reel, and so the wind drifts that line over and into the trees. They didn't throw the lure in the tree. The line drifted in the air over into the tree, and then before you can do anything about getting it back, you have to reel the lure up and then it's going to hang in that tree. So that happened to me a bunch of times this week to the tune of about, I would say, 50 or 75 bucks in lures. Some of those I was able to get back in uh, by using a Fraybill uh, plug retriever, an 18-foot long extendable plug retriever, and I can get some of them back. But we threw some Berkeley Chapos in trees, some Berkeley Stunners and Hit Tip Sticks in trees, and those things are not cheap. You're talking you know, 6 to 10 bucks a pop every time one of those gets lost. And it all came down to the line drifting in the air. Well, how do I deal with that? Because that doesn't happen to me very often as an angler. It happens to my clients, and here's how you deal with it. Regardless of whether it's a spinning rod or a casting rod, you have to keep tension on the line while you're making a cast. So let's say that I'm on the rod and I want to make a 40-foot cast. I'm going to cast as though I need to make a 55 or 60-foot cast in terms of the amount of power I generate. But then I'm going to feather the line against the lip of the spool on a spinning reel with my real hand, not my rod hand. I'm going to use the thumb or forefinger of the hand I use to reel 
to gently feather that line against the spool of the reel. It will still be paying out. It will just pay out under a little bit of tension so that that wind doesn't pick that line up and pull out way more of it than you need. I mean, geez, even if you don't throw it in a tree, it's going to mess up your retrieve uh, by having a big giant bow between you and you and your lure. If there's trees around, like we've been fishing around cottonwoods and willows a bunch, well, then you're gonna you're gonna drift into a lot of those. And and while you're bass fishing or walleye fishing, a lot of the times they're right around those trees. So you need to be casting around the trees by feathering that line against the spool so that you can slow it ever so slightly coming out. The wind won't pull more of it. Uh, than what you need. So you basically maintain a straighter line between you and your bait. It takes a little bit of habit to get used to. Uh, once you get used to it, 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 it becomes second nature. And for me, it's 100% second nature. Every single time I cast, I don't care if I'm casting in wide open water in glass calm conditions, I will control the line coming off the reel of this, uh, you know, of the spool on the reel. And I always do that by feathering it. In my case, I put my cut my reel hand on the bottom of the spinning reel as soon as I cast and use my thumb to gently feather the line against the spool of the spinning reel. If you've got a casting reel, same thing. Only use your thumb on top of the reel. Uh, and if you're at the casting gear stage already, you probably already know that one. But the more you thumb the surface, the surface of the line, the less backlashes you'll get and also the less slack line you'll have out there. But that's one that gets my clients on a regular basis will make a really good cast as far as accuracy goes, but the wind pulls a bunch of extra line, gets them in the stuff, and they're uh, in trouble. We were even fishing up against uh, some rock banks where I'm having them throw long parallel casts straight down the bank where the boat's right up on the bank, and the same thing. Because we're fishing where the wind is blowing in on the bank, and um, these guys are making 45 to 90 degree casts to the bank and the wind will drift the line up on there. By controlling the amount of line coming off that reel, you can stop that from happening. You just have to cast harder than you think you need to, like you're trying to throw it farther and then ever so slightly slow it down as the line's paying out. That tip alone will save you a whole bunch of headaches and money in lures if you learn to do it every single time. If nothing else, you'll make better presentations because you'll have less slack between you and your lure when it hits the water and you are in control. Another one along the same lines is an open bale. When I have somebody and they've got an open bale, an open spinning reel, or an open casting reel, and they are not managing that line against the reel with their other hand or with something, if that bale's open and line is unattended, you are out of control and nothing good comes of that. You don't know if you're bit, you're gonna get snagged more, you're gonna get tangles more. All of those things are going to happen if you have that open bale. So an open unattended bale is very, very bad juju. And so in my case, whenever my bale's open, my left thumb, because I reel with my left hand, my left thumb will be holding the line against the spool until I need whatever to get some line out. Now, Along those same lines, the bale should always, 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 always be operated with your left hand. It should not be operated on a spinning reel with the handle. The bale should not be closed by using the rotational handle on the reel. That was a marketing gimmick originally put on many, many years ago, and it's also the key to all kinds of frustrations because if you learn to run the bale manually and use your hand to control the line on the tip of the spool, you will have so many less problems that that you will you will send me Christmas cards from now on. It is a very 
key thing that you learn to control the bail with your uh, opposite hand, not the real handle. And that will ensure that that first wrap of line on your spool is not loose. And if that first wrap is loose or you retrieve any sort of slack line, completely slack line, those, those wraps that are on that spinning reel at that point are bigger in diameter than the tight wraps that you're going to reel in on top of it. So then your next cast, the, the smaller loops will catch the bigger loops and you'll end up with a tangle, and it, otherwise known as a wind knot, and then you'll cuss, and then you'll send me an email and want to know how come my spinning reel twisted my line. Your spinning reel is going to twist your line. That's part of a spinning reel. It turns a filament 90 degrees. It has to twist to put it on the spool. If you control slack line at all costs, it won't cause you the problem. So an open unattended bale is a problem. Casting with a bunch of slack line is also a problem. Now, tension on the retrieve is another part of casting control, you have to realize how much, or, or excuse me, line management, you have to determine how much slack you are or are not retrieving. And if you're retrieving too much slack, uh, you don't have enough resistance on your retrieve, then you need to use something to put tension on it, your rod hand, something like that. If you pull a backlash or a wind knot out and then you reel that line in without tension on it, it's going to cause a problem. If the boat drifts towards your bait, creating slack, you're going to cause a problem. So tension all the time on the retrieve itself is very, very important. You need to ensure that that line wraps on that spool nice and smooth and flat all the time. If you look at your spool and it's all kind of fluffy looking or you see a couple of loose wraps in there, your best chance to save your line and, and not have to throw your line away or pick out a backlash is to get those out without casting as soon as you can. So line management, very, very, very important. I see I see problems with that all day, every day with the vast majority of the clients that I guide. And it's something that takes some time to, uh, to practice and become habitual. But if you do it, it'll be worth it. On to another subject. Speaking of line, line watching. Uh, line watching will catch you fish, period, end of discussion. If you've got a jig, a soft stick worm, uh, a Texas rig, um, anything along those lines that you're not continuously retrieving, then watching your line is extremely important. And what I do uh, is I watch the line as far out as I can see it. So if I can see it all the way out, like say a lure sinking, and I can watch that line as it gets pulled under the surface, the line laying on the surface, I can watch it get pulled under by the lure, whatever it is that's sinking, I will watch that for any change. If it goes sideways, if it stops, if it goes faster, uh, if it pops or jumps, any of those things are clearly signs that you are bit, and that's very important. Line watching is something, again, I find that very minimal number of my guided clients and you know, 17 years of doing this, a minimum number of my clients are really ardent line watchers, and I'm telling you, it'll catch you a lot of fish. On almost any given day, I have to tell my client that they're bit at least part of the time when we're jig fishing or we're wacky rigging or we're Texas rigging, something like that. A lot of the time, I will see the line move before the client will feel anything because I'm extremely diligent about line watching. That's also the single biggest reason I wear polarized glasses so I can cut the surface glare and see the line. So I'm anal. I wear coastal glasses. I wear either the green mirror, green mirror lens or the sunrise silver lens uh, the vast majority of the time, depending on light conditions, and it cuts the surface glare so I can see that line. So watching your line for any change in sink rate or direction, very, very, very important. So uh, that's a key thing, and your glasses will help you with that. You just have to be diligent about it. 
Speaking on more line stuff, let's talk about fresh knots. Now on guide trips, this is on me, not on a client. I do all the tying on there, but I know that I have to always tell clients, hey, swing that hair, I need to check your knot, whatever. I mean like literally constantly, all day. I will constantly be checking knots or retying knots. If you get snagged one time, we do a lot of light line fishing. If you're snagged one time and it pops free, no problem, you didn't break anything off, I'm still gonna retie it. Along those same lines, I'm going to check the lower two feet or so for any abrasion uh, of any sort. And if there's any, I'm gonna cut a couple of feet off and retie it, particularly with, mon well, actually really with any line. I'm not even gonna put a qualifier in there. With whatever line it is, if there's abrasion on it, you need to cut it off and retie it. If that knot even just gets old, let's say you've been throwing a crankbait for 45 minutes, you didn't snag it, no fish bought it, I'm still gonna retie that knot because fresh knots are very, very important and, and it only takes a second. Along those same lines, uh, no clips. If you're using speed clips so that you can change lures really quickly, you still need to change your knots. I understand that the logic behind it, you're trying to keep fishing, but that's how you end up with stale knots. Stale knots break hearts. You finally get bit by Shamu, you got your giant hooked, stale knots cost you fish. So don't allow that to happen and don't allow abrasion in your line. If there's any abrasion at all, cut it off and change it. Very important. Another thing that I think is really important for people that I see a lot on guide trips uh, is hook setting. And not all hook setting is the same. I'm going to set the hook completely different with, say, a crankbait that I'm winding than I am with, say, a wacky rig on a semi-circle hook and than I am with, say, a drop shot. If you're going on a guided trip, ask your guide. It's the first thing I always do when I'm doing some sort of fishing that I'm not used to doing. I'm out on a guide trip, which we do a lot when I'm filming because I get out of my comfort zone and do a lot of stuff. First thing I ask is how do I need to set the hook or and how do I need to fight these fish because I don't want to wait until I'm bit to ask that. I want to know that ahead of time. So paying attention when you set the hook to in some cases, the direction the fish is traveling, like uh, let's say I'm, I'm pitching a Texas rig around and a fish picks it up and I see it by line watching or I feel it. Instead of trying to be in a hurry and get a real fast hook set, I want a real accurate hook set. So I'll lift very gently on the rod to feel for pressure and see if I can determine which way the fish is moving. If you don't jerk on it, you don't jar it. In other words, you just gently put a little tension on the line, 99.5% of the time, the fish will hold it. And I've swam smallmouth all the way back to the boat with gulp minnows in them without ever hooking them because they just swim along because they don't feel you jarring on them. I want to lift, feel which direction they're swimming, and then set the opposite direction. Same thing goes with the power of the hook set. If I've got a Texas rig, I've got to set the hook a lot harder than if I've got a drop shot rig. If I've got that wacky rig, I might just wind into them. Uh, but you have to determine that, and then you have to pay attention to it. And one of the key things that happen is clients get excited, and then they just jerk in a hurry. Uh, oh, got a bite, and just jerk. Well, that's fine, but an accurate hook set beats a fast hook set every single time. And if you watch a bunch of our videos on YouTube, you'll notice that I set the hook completely different. Even our highlight video, you can see a bunch of different hook sets and they're completely different. It's because different lures or possibly different lines. If I've got monofilament or fluorocarbon, I'm typically gonna set the hook a little bit harder than I am with braided line, which has no stretch to it and more of a jar. But regardless, Setting the hook hard enough or correctly enough or in the right direction to get it 
hooked and then holding that constant tension. I get a lot of clients that will jerk into a fish and then immediately drop the rod tip back to it because they're not sure they got it or anything else. That slack line will cost you fish. So really pay attention to how you set the hook and how hard you set the hook and how much tension you keep on as soon as the hook is tight. I want to jerk, get tight on a fish, and then reel my rod tip back down into a position where I just have a good bow in the rod and I can determine what's going on from there. I don't ever want the rod to straighten out. Conversely, I don't want to ever reel against a fish uh, because that's going to do you no good. If he's pulling, let him pull. If he's not pulling, you reel. But what I find is people don't do a great job of managing their immediate, say, five to 10 seconds after the hook set, uh, or, or two to 10 seconds. You set the hook and drop the rod right back and drop slack, not a good sign. If you jerk and just go right to the reel, also not a good time because the fish is gonna, who knows what the fish is gonna do, and if you got a big one, you could be in trouble. Um, the other thing I see is people just straight trying to crank fish in. It is not a race. As long as there's a bow in that rod, a good, good significant bend in that rod, your rod's doing what it's designed to do. It will keep tension on that fish. Again, you reel when he, when that when that rod starts to unload, in other words, if the fish is letting the tension off, that's when you reel. But I find a lot of clients will either reel against the rod, the rod's fully bowed up and they're reeling anyway, which is a great way to pull fish off, or the rod will be almost completely straight, which is a great way for fish to shake you off because there's not enough tension on it. So you wanna keep a good bend in the rod and that's it. And the reel's just controlling the line enough or the tension on the line. Uh, meanwhile, the rod stays in a good position. And along those same lines, I don't want the rod backwards over your head. I don't want the rod pointed at the fish. There's somewhere in between there where you've got a 45 to 90 degree angle with a good bow in it is where I generally, or a good bend in the rod is where I generally want to see uh, right after a hook set. And I see a lot of times that people don't go that route. And, and a lot, usually it has to do with being in a hurry. That, a lot of my clients want to just straight wind them in, and I get it, but you're gonna, I think it's a, a certain urgency that you don't want the fish to get away, and I understand that, but by winding hard against them, you're gonna lose more of them anyway, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, or conversely, by not keeping enough tension on there, uh, you same kind of thing, uh, you're gonna lose more of them. So it becomes a matter of how much tension do I need, and, uh, and that's really a little bit of feel, but you have to pay attention to it. Another thing, changing topics here again, that I think is important that I don't necessarily see from, from my guide clients because they're fishing with my tackle, but I get questions about, and that is balance tackle. Uh, and when I'm referencing that, I'm not talking about the physical balance of putting your finger on the rod and seeing if the rod and reel will balance. I get that. That's, that's a whole other topic as well. I'm talking about having the right tackle for the, for the weight or the resistance of the lure that you're throwing. If your tackle is over, if your rod or reel, either one, gear ratio on your reel or your rod are overpowered, by your lure, then you're gonna exert more energy for one, have less sensitivity or feel for two, and have a higher potential for breaking tackle. So, for instance, I'm fishing with a medium power spinning rod, and it's good for, let's say, a quarter to five-eighths weight range um, in, in lures it's designed. That's the power range of the rod. Well, if I'm throwing a one-ounce lure with that, or I'm throwing a lure that gives off a tremendous amount of resistance in the water when I retrieve it, then it's going to be overpowered and I'm gonna have no feel for it. 
Conversely, if I'm throwing a medium-powered spinning rod and I'm trying to throw a you know 16-ounce crappie jig on it, I'm going to have no accuracy of any kind with it because the rod won't load, and again, I won't have any feel. You won't be able to store energy in the rod. The jig is simply not heavy enough to do it. So choosing your rod power and your gear ratio on your reel to match that will help, at very least, your rod power. And I see people get outside of their comfort range, outside of the rod's comfort range, I should say, very, very commonly, um, and that's an important thing as well. So making sure that I would rather have a lure that's too big or too small or whatever for my fish but fit my rod than I would have a rod that's overpowered or underpowered for my lure because I will have mechanical mistakes if I have that. And mechanical mistakes, it won't matter how many bites you get if you lose them. So very, very important that the tackle be balanced. We fish on my guided trips with a ton of medium light, medium and medium medium heavy powered spinning rods, typically in the medium light and medium range. And everything we throw on that is, is somewhere right in the middle of the range that the rod is designed to throw. So that will help you a bunch by having balanced tackle um, can be really, really good. Now, let's talk about some other mental things that just day-to-day anglers will get away from my guided clients so much, um, although maybe, maybe not. We'll, we'll talk about some mental game, mental game things. One is casting angles. Casting angles, whether they be in relation to the bank or in relation to your cover or in relation to the wind, can be really important. And one thing I have a lot of clients do is they don't fish the future. They don't fish ahead of the boat or be paying attention ahead. They get a client that uh, I'll get people that'll throw 45 degree angle behind the boat. That's fine in some scenarios and with good control and whatever, but day in and day out, what you're going to end up doing is snagging more, moving your bait more, and missing targets as the boat comes up to them that would have been better with the reverse angle. So paying attention to the angles is really important. I don't I don't generally, let's say I'm fishing a dam face or something like that, I don't want to throw 90 degrees to the dam where I'm throwing perpendicular to the, to the water line on the edge of the dam. I want to throw somewhere between 45 and 90, the overwhelming majority of the time. If I'm fishing around cover, say trees or bushes, I might have to make multiple angles around that before fish will locate my my uh, my lure. And so very important that I work various angles. But the most important aspect of it is paying attention to the angles. If you're throwing behind the boat and the boat's constantly drifting or moving, you don't have as much control or sensitivity because the boat is partially moving your stuff for you. And, be, and therefore, you'll snag stuff and, and things like that. So pay attention a little bit more. The faster the boat's moving, the farther in front of it I want to throw. The slower the boat's moving, well, then I can fish any direction I want, particularly if the boat's not moving at all. That's something I've been guilty of, particularly floating rivers. I had one guide, Marty the Party, one time, a funny guy, about 50 times over the course of the day, he kept telling me to lead the boat more. Because we were drifting very fast, and I was fly fishing, and I kept feeling like I was missing spots and trying to throw back to them. And what ends up happening then is, yeah, okay, you throw back at that one, but you have a crappy presentation because you threw the wrong way from the boat. And second of all, you miss the next good spot that comes up because you're behind the boat. So paying attention to where the boat's going and quote-unquote fishing the future is a really important thing. And, uh, and that's something, again, I see clients necessarily don't do a lot. I have to constantly keep pointing that out to them, just like it's been pointed out to me over the years, which is how I learned it in the first place. Along those same lines is being very observant. 
um, noticing every little nuance that you can about every bite you got uh, or about whatever's going on in the environment or just really closely paying attention and being observant. The best anglers I know, and the best hunters for that matter, and I'm a lifelong hunter as well, are extremely observant of everything that's going on in their environment or their playing field. And uh, what I find a lot of time on guide trips is people are watching the pretty birds and all the other stuff, and that's great. But if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you want to catch more fish, and you can catch more fish by being extremely observant of everything that's going on around you, watching for fish to rise, watching for follows that that may have followed your lure up, watching for herons and things that are sitting on the bank feeding, not the ones roosting, that doesn't matter, the ones that are wading in the water and feeding. Same thing with seagulls. Oh, there's a bunch of seagulls. Well, but they're roosting. Are they feeding? If they're feeding, we need to go investigate it. But you need to observe that and make a decision, uh, you know, a quick decision. And along those same lines, speaking of decisions, those observations, you need to make quick decisions. The, the, guy, the best anglers I've been around will make a decision and go with it immediately and go with your gut. If your brain is telling you something, act on it and go with it. Fishing is an instinctual game. Don't put it up, I should change lures, and then wait 20 minutes. If your gut's telling you you should change lures, change lures right now. I do that on guide trips constantly. We might have just caught a fish, right? And I say, well, we got to cut that off and swim. Well, why? We just caught one. Well, because there's a conditional change or something that just came up, or we could catch them faster doing something else. But by being observant and then making a quick decision over the course of the day, you'll catch a lot more fish. And it's also why you see, if you watch tournament fishing, particularly bass tournament fishing on TV or YouTube or whatever, You'll notice, or even on my television show, Fishful Thinker, you'll see lots of rods on the deck of the boat. It's because I can make immediate decisions without having to take the time to re-change, to you know, retie, change lures. I can pick up the next rod real quick and make a throw, make two throws, whatever, set it back down, go back to the other rod. That's very quick decision making based on observation. Also, by having all those rods on the deck as a side note, I can make sure that each one is balanced to the lure that it's throwing. And incidentally, we choose the lure first, then the line, then the rod for all of the above, then the reel. That's how we put our tackle together for all of them, and I recommend that you do it as well. But by having all those rods there on the deck, I can make a quick change, make two or three casts, see what my vibe is on that or what my response is from the fish on that and make an, another decision and move forward from there. But trust your instincts, trusting your guts has caught me more fish and harvested more deer and all that stuff uh, by really just trusting my instincts. Be observant and trust your instincts and then make an immediate decision on that in a hurry and you'll find out that that's, uh, that will help you a whole bunch. So and I'm going to end up with uh, one, one or two more quick things and then we're going to wind this thing up. Uh, first of all, if you're fishing, not on a guide trip, whatever, you're out where you're handling all your own fish, put your pliers in your pocket. Get some pliers that you strap to your pocket. It drives me nuts. I've fished with some high-level tournament pros. Where's my pliers? Where'd I put them down? Where'd I set them? Whatever. My pliers stay on a lanyard in my pocket all the time. Doesn't matter how I'm fishing. If I'm fly fishing, maybe it's forceps, but it's the same thing. I know where they are. I know they're attached to me. I'm not going to lose them. If you go look at any single video on, on my YouTube channel, you will notice that there's pliers in my right pocket with a cord going to them because I always know where they are. I'm never looking for them. I'm not wasting time in the boat. I'm never dropping them overboard because they're tied to me. Um, if I need them in an emergency, like say a fish hooks me with a crankbait and he's still on there, 
Okay, very good. Um, I've got them immediately handy. I don't have to go anywhere else in the boat. I can be really quick about it. If I'm trying to process a bunch of fish, right now we're catching 20 to 60 fish a day on my guide trips. By having my pliers right there, I'm easy on fish. If I take an extra 20 seconds with every one of those fish, because I'm looking for my pliers, my delayed mortality rate's gonna go up a lot. There's gonna be a lot more fish that die an hour later because they were handled a little bit longer. So keep your pliers in your pocket. It will save you a lot of headache. I keep pliers and a little line cutter, pliers in my pocket all the time. I keep another set that's down in the center of the boat so that anybody else in the boat might need them in a hurry can get them. Um, and then I have line cutters at all ends of the boat so I can be quick about retying. When I say line cutters, I'm talking about cutter with a Z. Look them up. It's a handy little tool. You can get a stick down one. Uh, they are not a sponsor or partner in any way, shape, or form. I just, I'm a huge fan of the product. Uh, I stick one down in the front of the boat. I stick one down in the back of the boat. Uh, you can wear them as a ring. You can put an extra one on your pliers or your console. They don't take up any space. They're not expensive. And you can cut your line very cleanly, very quickly, any kind of line, in a hurry with them. And it will save you time in the boat. So uh, I think that can be uh, something that will just make your day a little more efficient. And honestly, I think if you pay attention to everything in this podcast and focus on them, it's more important than all the lure selection and everything else I could tell you. The, the line management, uh, casting accuracy and line control is super important. Again, casting accuracy is a different topic, but line control is so, so important. Line watching so, so important. Paying attention to angles, being observant and making quick decisions and following your guts, all those things will catch you more fish. So with that, we're wrapping it up. I uh, would love you if you'd check out our Fishful Tinker YouTube channel. There's tons and tons of videos. We put a couple a week there. Uh, it would be very gracious of you to subscribe there. Also, you can follow us on Fishful Tinker at uh, Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to converse with you there. Um, and then if you'd like to book a guide trip or send me an email, you can do so at fishfulthinker.com and we can get you squared away there. So with that, we appreciate you listening. This has been Fishful Tinker, the podcast.